You don't eat? <laughs> Have you ever thought about a theology of food? Well, not really about sleep. Not really about food, but about meals. And so to start off with, I'm just going to ask a question to the husbands here. Do you regard every meal that your wife cooks as a gift to you? Absolutely. Every month that she fixes a meal, I'm thankful. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you think, Absolutely. Think about it. Do you consider that each meal that she cooks is an embodiment, an embodiment of her love for you? Absolutely. Now, turn it the other way, and I ask the wives. <laughs> I ask the wives and mothers, do you think of your cooking in that manner, that your cooking is the embodiment of love for your husband or your children. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Your cook, think of it. Cooking is a tangible and edible form, expression of love. Well, you really had to stretch and come up with this, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Single people cook too, and it's still, it's still, it still can be an expression of love. Because we love ourselves. Well, we'll get to that. You get some extra help this morning, aren't you? Uh, I am, but you cook for other people. You invite them over. You share a meal together, and when you share a meal, you are expressing companionship. Think of the word <coughs> companion. It comes from the Latin come together and panion or panis, which is bread. Together breaking bread. Mm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, he said, The breaking of bread together has a festive quality. In the midst of the working day given to us again and again, it is a reminder that God rested after God's work. And that the Sabbath is the meaning and the goal of the week with its toil. So not only is our life, <coughs> not only does it have a good deal of trouble and hard work, but it is also refreshment and joy in God's goodness. We labor, but God nourishes us and sustains us. So there is reason to celebrate. Through the daily meal, God is calling us to rejoice to celebrate in the midst of a working day. Food connects. It connects us to family. It connects us to strangers. Now think about this. Food reminds us of our dependence on other people. Have you ever thought about how dependent you are on the farmers who <coughs> grew the food that you're eating? The vegetables, the cows, the pigs, the meat, or the cooks that prepared that food that you're eating, you're dependent on that. And above all, you are dependent on God. We are finite people. We need food to sustain us. But it's much more than fuel. I mean, think about your favorite foods. How often do you give God thanks for the steak that you ate? 
Every time. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I've come up with that. That was easy because that's one of my favorites. But, you know, you know, whatever your favorite food is. I mean, think of how creative God is with all the foods, all the choices that we have. And to think about this. God's first act after creating humanity was basically to present mankind with a menu. The fruit of all the trees of the garden. Except of one. So every meal, every meal is an opportunity to receive God's good gifts with thankfulness. And food, the meal is an opportunity for human creativity, for generosity, for thinking about our own actions of giving to others as God gave to us. And here's something to think about too, is that food is also at the heart of our rejection of God. The very first act of rebellion was an act of eating. And ever since that time, our relationship with food often goes wrong because our relationship with God has gone wrong. We find comfort in food instead of refuge in God. And yet, food is an integral part to our humanity. And it's no surprise that our own brokenness, our own sinfulness shows up even in our relationship to food. But against this backdrop of so many times food gone wrong, God promises a feast. You know, you kind of hinted at this. Again and again in the Bible, salvation is pictured as a feast with God. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking about the Christmas banquet uh, coming up next week and how we are going to use that to share with others as an image, as a picture of the salvation of God. You know, think about it. When God led the Israelites out of Egypt, the leaders of the people were invited up to Mount Sinai to eat and drink with God. The rescue from slavery in Egypt, the defining act of Israelite of an Israelite identity, commemorated in the meal, a meal of the Passover. You know, at at the uh, high point of Israelite history in the reign of Solomon, the people of Judah and Israel were numerous. They ate, they drank, they were happy. But even when things began to unravel, God promised another meal a feast of rich food for all people and on this occasion death will be on the menu and God will swallow it up so there's an eternal feast that we are promised that's not yet happened and yet we've already seen a foretaste of that with Jesus he provided that one example would be when he fed the 5,000 that it's a pointer to the fulfillment of God's promise that one day 
we will feast forever in his presence. So there is something bigger coming. As we they as we look at Jesus and the meals that he partook of. Just I'm trying to paint this big picture, so let's keep that big picture in mind. Think about it in, in a minute. Uh, this is the season of Advent. What does Advent mean? Prepare for the coming of Christ. So, how would you complete this sentence? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost out of Luke 19.10. Anything else? To destroy the works of the evil one. To die. To die. Basically, the Mark 10.45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To reveal the Father. To reveal the Father. But have you ever thought about this one? This is from Luke 7.34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. We never bring that one up though, do we? So there are three things that I see out of this. The first two, Mark 10.45 and Luke 19.10, these are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? He came to serve, to give his life a ransom, to seek and save the lost. But the third is a statement of method. How did Jesus come? Well, he came eating and drinking. You see, the, the Jews of Jesus' day would have said the Son of Man would come to vindicate the righteous and defeat God's enemies. They didn't expect him to come and seek and save the lost. They would have said the Son of Man will come in power and glory. They would have never said he came eating and drinking. But Luke's gospel is full of stories of Jesus eating with people. Luke 5, Jesus eats with the tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during the meal. Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke 10, Jesus eats at the home of Martha and Mary. Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges the people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. Luke 22, the account of the Last Supper. Luke 24, the risen Christ has a meal with the disciples in Emmaus and then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. So much involves a meal. And so you think about it. We find Jesus either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And obviously this is not just refueling. Do you understand that? That eating a meal, eating food is not just refueling. Not taking a pill. <clears throat> or taking, taking one of the uh, sci-fi, science fiction pills that have everything you need in just one little pill. 
It's not what it is. I will spend so much time was spent around meals. So what do you think went on at these meals? Lots of talking. Lots of teaching maybe. Lots of fellowship. You know, even even the uh, uh, the the scribes, the Pharisees, the people that were opposed to Jesus, they called him a glutton and a drunkard. And of course, a glutton is somebody that spends a lot of time eating. Well, they noticed he spent a lot of time eating. But what else did they say? Well, they noticed who he spent time with. They said he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And this is why eating and drinking was so important in the mission of Jesus. It was a sign of his friendship with tax collectors and sinners. So grab that nugget as we are eating around a table, as we are fellowshipping with others that we may not know next week. That is a sign of our relationship. That is a step in building a relationship with them. That is a sign of our friendship. That is a sign that we want to break bread, that we want to be a companion with people that we may not even know. And it puts us, eating puts us on a level playing field. There's no superiority there. We're on level ground. Now the meals of Jesus, they did represent a new world breaking through, a new kingdom, a new outlook. But they're a, they're a window into His message of grace. And I think it can be a way for us to speak grace to people as well. Meals give God's grace a form and a community. So really what I'm talking about is using a meal as mission. You know, we can't do the work that we're called to do of sharing the gospel unless we spend time with people. And what's one of the best ways to spend time with people but over a meal? Luke 5, 27 to 32 says this. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office and said to him, Follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. There was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests there. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, Jesus replied to them, The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repent. Now the scribes, the Pharisees didn't have a problem with Levi hosting the feast. They had a problem with the guest list. The tax collectors, they were basically the outcasts of the community. They used their position to cheat people. They were the collaborators working with the enemy, 
the Romans. Now, think about it again. The Jews were looking for the day when God would <coughs> defeat their enemy, the Romans, and reestablish his kingdom. So it wasn't just Jews versus Romans, but God versus the Romans in the Jews' eyes. And since the tax collectors were working for the Romans, they were viewed not only as enemies of the Jewish people, but enemies of God. And yet, here they are eating a meal with God's Messiah. God is sitting down and eating a meal with his enemies. Now, that would have been scandalous in that day. Uh, there's a New Testament scholar that talks about the significance of table fellowship, especially in the Mediterranean cultures. He said that basically we can't even comprehend the, the importance of table fellowship cannot be overestimated. Sharing a meal with someone was richly symbolic of not just friendship, but intimacy and unity. Betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom you had shared a table was reprehensible, unbelievable. And so if one had been estranged because of an, because of an offense, an invitation to a meal was an invitation to reconciliation. So with Jesus sitting down at a meal with the tax collectors who were viewed as enemies of God, he's saying, I want to, it's an invitation for reconciliation. You know, and notice this, you know, Luke describes Jesus' table companions as tax collectors and others, while the Pharisees call them tax collectors and sinners. You know, the, and the others in the Pharisees' eyes just don't measure up. <clears throat> and it seems like most scholars tend to agree that the Jews rarely ate with Gentiles in Jesus' day. But if you look at Isaiah, when Isaiah promised the great banquet, that promise includes all peoples, all nations. <clears throat> And the whole earth. But in the time of Jesus, really before Jesus, Gentiles had dropped off of the guest list for most of the Jews. But see, when Jesus eats with Levi and the tax collectors and the others, the message is clear. Jesus has come for losers. Jesus has come for people on the margins. Jesus has come for people who have made a mess of their lives. And Jesus has come for the ordinary. Jesus has come for you and me. Jesus has come for so many people that we'll see next week at the Christmas banquet. The only people that are left out are those who think they don't need God the self-righteous and the self-important. So, the meal as a mission. The, there's a whole section in Luke 14. And it, it goes from Luke 14, verse 1, all the way to 24. 
on one Sabbath, he goes to eat at the house of a leading Pharisee. And it says they're watching him closely. Uh, he tells the parable uh, to those who were invited. And he says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place. So he tells them, you know, don't pursue the best seat because someone more distinguished than you may come and they'll make you move. But seek the lower seat, seek the lower place. And then he goes on to talk about when you have a lunch or a dinner, when you have a meal, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, neighbors who are going to invite you back, knowing that you're going to be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the, at the resurrection of the righteous. <coughs> hmm. So, extending, thinking about that, Jesus says, the poor, the maimed, the lame, or the blind. Now, back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, uh, the, the Jewish authorities would, ex, would have extended the teachings out of Leviticus 21 to say that no one who was blind, crippled, or lame could enter into the temple. And yet, after Jesus cleansed the temple, the scripture tells us that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple complex and he healed them. So it's the people that need healing, the people that need a touch from Jesus. That's what he's talking about when he says the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. It's anybody who needs Jesus. Those are the ones we invite to the banquet. Uh, the, some uh, Qumran documents that were uh, written by the, the, a sect called the Essenes. They went so far as to think that the poor, the blind, the lame wouldn't even participate in the Messianic banquet. And how sad that is. But how significant it is here in Jesus' message that they are the very ones that are included. So, what I want to point out here in, in this story is, is the exhortation that Christ has for us to invite outsiders to a meal. We do it in a big way once a year. But shouldn't we really be doing it a whole lot more often than that as a church body, as individual families? So, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He had a habit of eating with the tax collectors. And we're called to follow Christ in the same way in this broken world that we live in. Invite the marginalized to a meal. 
just as God has invited you to his resurrection feast. We need to think about that and keep that in mind. Think of how different the dynamic is when we sit and eat and break bread with someone. We meet as equals. We share together. We affirm one another and enjoy one another. People need community. The poor need a heartfelt welcome to replace their marginalization in society. People need to be included to replace their society exclusion. They need a place where they matter to replace their felt powerlessness. They need a Christian community. And we can provide that. Jesus didn't go out and run projects, establish ministries, and create programs. But he did eat meals together with the people. And so, again, as we look forward to the Christmas banquet, sharing a meal with people of different cultures, people who may be meeting, that we may be meeting for the first time, we will be doing mission. And we need to keep that in mind. That the goal of the banquet is to share the love of Jesus. It is to share the gospel of Jesus over a meal. To establish relationship. To be able to share with them. To share within a context of a meal that resonates the power of the gospel. You know. Just a couple more verses to, to wrap this thought. And what I'm really talking about, in one sense, I've talked about a meal, but another word would just be hospitality. You know, 1 Peter 4 9 says, Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Matthew 10 41, The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Hebrews 13.2 Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Through all of this, we need to keep in mind the cost of the great banquet to come, the messianic banquet as I would refer to it. And that cost was our Savior's blood. The cross is our motive and our model as we plan to use a meal as mission. Yeah, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, sometimes we can think of of food is such a simple thing as simply nourishment, energy for our bodies. And yet you have blessed us with so many varieties of food, so much that we could spend all day praising you for it. And you've also shown us and given us examples of how we can use a meal to build relationships to share the gospel, to, to open our hearts 
to open our homes, to open our church to those around us who may not know you. So Father, as as we progress forward, look toward the Christmas banquet next week. As we look toward even the various things and events that we will be doing throughout the following year. May we keep in mind that we can use meals as a mission for serving you. Give us the opportunity to do so, especially next week, Father. Father, I just pray that we would hear from you of how you want us to to live this out, to speak this out in our own lives in a corporate and in a personal manner. We give you thanks. Amen. We're going to do the rotation thing.